Hello and happy Easter. My name is Vince and I want to thank you so much for joining us today. If this is your first time, please let us know by texting WELCOME to 402-383-1874. Now sit tight as your Easter service is about to begin. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Easter. How's, every, how's everybody doing today? Anybody have plans after service? Who's going to lunch? Who is cooking lunch? Okay. Who is hosting lunch? We are hosting today. So I need you to pray for me this afternoon. It's going to be a great time. We're going to have uh, a great time this afternoon, but we're going to get into God's word today. I just want to say it's so good to see some of you that, that I haven't seen in a long time. Miss Lena, it is so good to have you with us here today, uh, this Easter Sunday. Uh, some of our guests that are here today, we've got some of our, our online family that are joining us for the very first time. and just want to say thank you for being with us today as well. Uh, John chapter 20 is where we are going to, to be in God's word. If you want to turn in your Bibles there, if you want to turn in your app there, uh, if you don't have either, the verses will be on the screens for you today. We're going to read the story of, of that first Easter morning, that first Easter Sunday, uh, but just want to set the scene for you a little bit. As we read John chapter 19, we see Jesus crucified. We see him, him crucified and and after Jesus's life has left him, two men come to Pilate, Joseph of Arimathea and a man named Nicodemus, who are, are men of status, are, are known men in the community, men with resources. And they come to Pilate, who was the governor at the time, and asked if they could take Jesus's body down, prepare it and place it in a tomb. And Pilate gave them the okay. Nicodemus was the man who in John chapter three, Jesus had a conversation with. And during that conversation told him for God so loved the world. It was in that conversation with this man named Nicodemus. And, and so these, these two men are, are followers of Jesus. They've been disciples of Jesus. They've listened to his teaching now for, for several years. Jesus is dead and they take it upon themselves to use the resources that they have to serve their Lord one more time. And they ask Pilate, can we put him in the grave? Pilate says, yes, go ahead and do that. So they, they take his body down. The Bible says that they lay him in a, a fresh tomb, a tomb that has never been used, that was near a garden. And in chapter 20, we see that on that Sunday morning, the ground began to shake that angels came from heaven, rolled the stone away, and, and out of the tomb comes Jesus like a UFC fighter walking into the octagon. I don't know if you've ever watched UFC, if, if UFC is something that you like. I like UFC, and in my mind, my Jesus on Easter Sunday came out like a UFC fighter walking into the octagon with the light show and the theme song and the bass hit, and he's got the entourage of angels behind him, and he's just walking out of the tomb with swagger on Easter Sunday. That's the way that I picture it. Mary gets to the tomb. She looks in the tomb, and the tomb is is empty. She runs and she tells Peter and she tells John and they race to the tomb to find that it's true that Jesus indeed is no longer there. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. John chapter 20, I'm going to begin reading in verse 11. The verses will be on the screens, but here's what the Bible tells us that Mary was standing outside of the tomb crying. And as she wept, as she wept, she stooped and looked in and she saw two white robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot 
of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her, because they have taken away my Lord and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there and it was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Has, ever, has Jesus ever showed up in your life and you didn't recognize him? And Jesus, Jesus shows up and you're like, no, nah, that can't be, that can't be Jesus. There's a job offer. There's an opportunity. There's, there, there's a trying season that's trying to, to remove some of that junk from your life. And we think, no, there's no way that that's Jesus. Jesus is there, but she doesn't recognize him. Verse 15, Jesus says, dear woman, why are you crying? Same thing the angels asked her. Who are you looking for? The Bible says that she thought he was the gardener. So she said, sir, if you have taken him away, please tell me where you have put him and I will go get him. In verse 16, Jesus simply says, Mary. Mary, Jesus said. And she turned to him and cried out, Rabbi, which means teacher. Simply at the mention of her name, at, at Jesus's calling of her name, her eyes were opened. What she, what she wasn't able to recognize before, once Jesus called her by name, she was now able to see clearly. And what I want you to know today is that Jesus is calling you by name. That there are things that he's been trying to show you that you haven't been able to see, but today he's calling you by name and our eyes are opened. She runs and she hugs him. Verse 17, Jesus says, don't cling to me. In other words, back up personal space. Give me some room. Jesus says, don't cling to me for I haven't yet ascended to the father, but go and find my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my father and your father to your God and my, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them I have seen the Lord. And then she gave them his message. God, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that over the next few moments that you would anoint every word that goes forth, anoint every hearer that hears, God, that we wouldn't just have ears to hear, but that we would do your word, that we would put it into practice. Your word was never meant to be informational. It was meant to be transformational but that only comes through the application of your word. And so Lord, help us to take your word and not be hearers only, but to be doers of your word. God, I thank you that, that you are still calling us by name. Jesus, even as you revealed yourself to Mary and called her by name that first Easter Sunday, today we find ourselves 2,000 years later on Easter Sunday celebrating your resurrection and the new life that is found through that. And we thank you that you still know us by name and that you are still calling us by name. God, would you have your way in this place and in our lives? We love you in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. This morning as we, we look at this story of the first Easter Sunday, it takes place in a garden. And we know that it takes place in a garden because the Bible tells us that it takes place in a garden. It tells us that Joseph had this, this tomb that was, that was near a garden. It tells us that Mary, when she encounters Jesus for the first time, thought he was the gardener. And because she thought he was the gardener, that tells us that this is in a garden because where do gardeners hang out? You guys are a bright group this morning. First service was a little slower. I didn't know if they had their coffee or not, but gardeners hang out where? In gardens. And so because Mary thought he was the gardener, Mary was in a garden because it would make sense that the gardener 
would be there. And so we, we see this story play out in a garden and we see Jesus having this conversation with Mary in, and it takes me back to another conversation that God had in a garden. For me, I, I, I look at this encounter with Jesus in a garden and it reminds me of another encounter that took place in the first garden. In the Garden of Eden, the Bible says in Genesis chapter one that, that God had created everything and looking down on his creation, he said that it is very good. He decides to, to take a day off. He's placed the animals, he's placed Adam, he's, he's created the woman and brought her unto Adam. They're, they're living in perfect relationship with God. They're, they're living, walking with him in, in the, the, the cool breezes of the garden, fulfilling the purpose with which they were created for to be reflections of God's character, to be reflections of God's image on the earth. That's the reason why they were made and they are fulfilling every ounce of that. Until chapter three comes. And in chapter three, the Bible says that the serpent was the, the most cunning of all the, the animals. And he, he comes and he presents himself to Eve. And he says, Eve, is it true that you can't eat any of the fruit in the garden? Eve says, no, in fact, it's the exact opposite. We can eat of any fruit except for that one tree. If we eat from that tree, then we're going to die. And the serpent says, you won't die. It's not that you want to die. It's not that you're going to die. It's, it's simply that God doesn't want you to be like him. God's trying to keep something from you, Eve. That's why you can't eat that fruit. Has the enemy ever came to you with that lie? Like it's, it's, the reason you can't have that is because God's trying to keep something from you. God's trying to withhold good things from you. God's trying to suck the fun out of your life. Have you ever felt like that reading scripture? Like, God, why are you trying to suck the fun out of my life? Is it just me? Okay, there's a couple of us that are honest enough to say that. But you know, boundaries are there for a reason. Right? Boundaries in God's word are there for a reason. Our oldest son is 14. And in three months, he turns 15. Do you know what happens to somebody when they turn 15 in the state of Nebraska? They can drive, says the mother of three boys. They can drive, which means in three months, my son will be able to drive. Now, I could take my keys, throw them to him and say, hey, I need you to run to Walmart and grab a loaf of bread and some milk. But I'm not going to do that. Why? Because he's not ready for that yet. Because there are boundaries that we have put in place. Like even at 15, you can't just drive by yourself. I or your mother must be with you. Why? Not because we're trying to keep you from something, but because we're trying to protect you. I'm not trying to suck the fun out of your life. I just want you to be able to one day operate in the fullness of what you have available to you. So, so when God says don't have sex outside of marriage, it's not that God is wanting to, to keep something good from you. It's that he's wanting to protect you for that day when you do enter into covenant relationship that you can have the fullness of what he has created you for. Are you following me? So the serpent comes to Eve and the serpent says, God's just trying to keep something from you. You won't, you won't die. And 
The Bible tells us that she was convinced. Genesis chapter, chapter three, verse six says that the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. And as they say, the rest is history. Now at that moment, the Bible says that their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard God walking in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees and the Lord called to them, where are you? Adam replied, I heard you walking in the garden. So I hid, I was afraid because I was naked. I was afraid because I was naked, so I ran and hid. As we, we look at the story in these two gardens, we look at the events that take place in these two gardens, the conversations that are had in these two gardens, we see very clearly the contrast between God's design and his intent and the result of sin entering the world. God's design was for perfect relationship with him, intimacy with him, intimacy with each other. There was no sin. And because there was no sin, there was no shame. There was no condemnation. They were, they were, they were fulfilling their purpose that they had been created for. But, but the enemy came and the serpent inserted himself into that story and with him brought sin and with sin, death and with death, chaos and everything that has been a part of our fallen world and fallen existence since. God's perfect creation and the enemy inserts himself into the story. And in the second garden, we see sinful people living with, with no hope and in utter despair. And yet Jesus inserts himself into that story. We see a conversation had between, between the serpent and, and Eve asking questions to create doubt, to, to create distrust between her and God. And we see Jesus asking Mary questions, not to create doubt, but to instill confidence because the one you're looking for is not here, but he is in fact risen. We see and we are able to contrast what is happening in these two gardens. And as we, we look at that, we have to understand that because we celebrate Easter Sunday, because Jesus got up that third day, because the stone was rolled away and Jesus is alive and sitting on the throne, there are things that we have access to. There are things that we have at our disposal that are available to us, things that, that entered the world in the first garden, that through Jesus in that second garden, God has redeemed, restored, and reversed. As we look at the scripture, as we, we look at what's happening, we have to understand that Jesus removed separation and he restored relationship. See, when sin entered the world, there was separation between man and God, where once they they walked together, they talked together, there was perfect intimacy. What is intimacy? It's simply one saying, here's all of me and I'm not holding anything back. Perfect intimacy in the, the garden and in their relationship, now they're running and hiding. Why? Because there is separation due to sin in their lives. Sin is simply separation from God. When you sin, what it creates is separation from the Father. 
When Jesus was hanging on the cross, the Bible teaches us that in that moment, he took upon himself the sin of the world that he literally adorned and clothed in and bore your sin and the punishment of your sin. And is one who has taken on the sin of the world, cries out and asks, Father, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, there is no relationship that can be had between the father and sin. So your sin puts you at a place of separation between you and God. They ran and they hid, right? That's what we see in the story. God calls out, where are you? It's not that God didn't know where they were. But Adam says, I heard you walking and I, I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Isn't it interesting how sin in your life always makes you run and hide? Sin in your life will always make you run and hide. Always want to cover it up. Always want to cover your tracks. Sin will, sin will have you laying in bed with the covers over your head and the lights off, binge watching sad movies on Netflix day after day. And some of you are like, do you have a camera in my house? No, I have cameras in my house. Like that's <laughs> That, that's how I feel, right? When, when, when something is not right in me and there is that separation that exists, it causes me to just want to, to go into a cave and never come out again. That's where Adam and Eve were. But in the second garden, Jesus comes and rather than running from God, we can run to God. In the first garden, Adam and Eve ran and hid. In the second garden, Jesus says, Mary, and she runs and she embraces him. We don't have to run from God as a result of our actions anymore. But instead, the proper response is to turn and to run towards him. Yes. He took from us separation. He, he took from us the, the shame and he brought relationship. He, he made freedom available. We no longer have to live under the bondage and the weight of sin because of what Jesus has done. Because he died on Friday, we can be forgiven. But because he rose again, that means that we can live an abundant life today. Yes, we are thankful for eternal life and we look forward to that. But Jesus said in John chapter 10, I came that you might have life and have it to the fullest, a rich and satisfying, abundant life. That's here and now. I'm thankful that one day I get to walk in that promise. But I'm also thankful that today I get to walk in that promise of abundant life found in the resurrection of God. I look at, I look at the story and, and I think Paul says it perfectly in Romans chapter five. He says, so now he says, we used to be enemies. We, we used to be on opposite sides with God, but as a result of what Jesus has done, verse 11, he says, now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. You are no longer an enemy of God, but you can be called a friend of God. We no longer have to run from, but we can run to. They, they run from God. And what does the Bible say that they do? It says that they sewed fig leaves together to cover their, their nakedness. Before there was no sin. They, they had no recognition of that, no understanding of that. But now they felt shame at their nakedness, heard God coming. And so we have to cover ourselves. It's interesting, but we're still doing the exact same things today. You might not be covering yourself with fig leaves, but maybe when you came in this morning, you covered yourself with a smile that said everything is great, when in reality, you're just hoping that nobody sees the pain just below the surface. Yeah. 
Maybe you come in today and you're covering yourself with achievement. Look at all the things that I've done. Look at, look at what I have. Maybe you're, you're covering yourself with, with what you've accumulated. Look at my house and look at my car and look at my job and look at my kids and look at my dog and look at my this and look at my that. And look, at, look at all the things that I have. Isn't my life great? And all you're doing is this. I hope nobody sees what's really taking place. As long as I cover myself well, they'll never know. They'll never know the shame that I'm walking in. They'll never know the pain that I'm walking in. They'll, they'll, never, they'll never understand the heartbreak that I feel, the loss that I've encountered this year or, or over the past couple of years. They'll, they'll never know. And so what must I do? I must cover myself. And we, we all do it. God comes to them and they're covered in these fig leaves. And God's like, what are you doing? Right. Like, what, what are you, what are you? He said, what are you wearing? Parents. Has your kid ever come out of the house? Come out of their room? Like, hey, go get ready for school. We got to leave in 10 minutes. Okay, mom, dad, I'm on it. I didn't set your clothes out, so you're on your own today. Perfect. I've got the, the, the outfit I've been waiting to wear all year. And they come stepping out of their room. And all you can think is, what are you wearing? Remember back in the mid-90s? I was in seventh grade. Living in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and in... The mid-90s in Albuquerque, during that time, the, the style, the fit, as the kids would say these days, the fit was Jinko jeans and a FUBU jersey. And listen, if you weren't wearing Jankos and a FUBU jersey, you sat at that table at lunch. And so I remember like, Jankos, if you don't know what Jankos are, like today we have the tapered fit, which just goes like this. The Jankos were not just not tapered, they weren't just straight, but they were the exact up, like they got bigger as they went down. And the, le the legs were so big that if you couldn't afford to get them custom tailored and hemmed to your exact dimensions, you had two options, either drag them behind you everywhere you went, or like the cool kids did, you would fold them up on the inside and then use safety pins all the way around. And that's what I chose to do. And so I remember like when Jankos came in, I remember going to my mom like, mom, I need some Jankos. She's like, John, that's absurd. Like those are clown pants. You're not wearing, you're not wearing. I'm like, mom, everybody's wearing Jankos. Like, mom, I need me a pair of Jankos. And she's like, no, you will stick with the Bugle Boy Huskies that I bought you at the beginning of school year. Because that is what you were going to wear. I'm not buying you Jankos. Like, Jankos, the back pocket was big enough that you could fit an entire laptop computer in the back pocket. She said, I'm not buying you those jeans. And so every day my friends are wearing Jankos and I'm there in the Bugle Boy Huskies. <laughs> and in the mid nineties, not only was style just crazy, but it didn't matter how far you lived from your school. There was no, there was no like parent drop-off line. There was no pickup line. 
Like today, I go to pick up my kids at school and there's parents that get there like 30 minutes early. Sit in the pickup line for, there was none of that when I was a kid, you walked. Didn't matter what the weather was. It didn't matter how far it was. It didn't matter if you had to walk past the worst neighborhood in, like you are walking to school. That's what you did. Can you pick me up? No, I can't. You have legs, right? Use them. And so, so I would have to walk to school every day. There was a friend of mine who lived on the way to school. So we came up with this plan. And what we would do is every day I would leave a couple minutes early. I would stop at his house. I would take off my Bugle Boy Huskies and I would put on his Jankos. And then I would go to school. And then after school, uh, because I'm walking home again, I, I would stop at his house and I would take off the Jankos and I put the Bugle Boy Huskies back on and walk home like everything was great. Well, one day my mom had to come to school. And I remember sitting in class like, John Weasel, can you come to the office? And everybody's like, ooh, I'm like, I didn't do anything, shut up. And so I go down to the office and I remember I came around the corner and my mom's standing there and she just goes, And she said, what are you wearing? <laughs> jeans. <laughs> she, Those are not the jeans that I, where are your bugle boys? <laughs> she said, Those are not the jeans that I bought you. What are you wearing? That's not what I paid for. And I wonder how many of us are busy covering ourselves with whatever it is that we choose. And God comes to us in our garden, in the garden of our lives, covering ourselves saying, God, I heard you coming and I didn't want you to see the real me. So I'm covering and God looks at us and he says, what are you wearing? Because that's not what my blood bought. What are you wearing? Because that's not what I paid for. I paid for you to walk in freedom. Why are you covered in shame? I paid for forgiveness of sin. Why are you adorning yourself in that? I paid so that you could run to me, not away from me. What are you, what are you wearing? See, we don't have to, to stay in that garden anymore because of what Jesus has done. And today, I want to encourage you. Stop running from and start running to him. Stop trying to cover yourself in your own, in your own. And Jesus says, he, he comes to them in the garden. God comes to them in the garden. He says, what are you wearing? Well, we sewed these together. He says, that doesn't even fit you right. You continue reading the story. What does he do? It says that he makes from them garments of animal skin that were better suited for them. What do you make from animal skin? Leather. Jesus gave him like a leather vest and was like, dude, you're like here. Like, take that off. Like, you don't have to wear the, here's some leather pants. Like you messed up, but I got you. It's fine. Like, take that off. Don't cover yourself. Allow me to cover you. It's not about what you can do for yourself. It's about what I can do. Jesus had them walking out of the garden looking like Danny Zuko and Sandy at the end of Greece. Just like in their leather looking good. That's what it, that's what the Bible says if you read it right. <laughs> so Jesus, Jesus takes and removes separation and he restores right relationship with the Father. Not only that, but as we look at the two gardens, we see that Jesus takes the penalty of death and he gives us new life. 
The Bible says that the wages of your sin, the wages of my sin is death. The result of my sin should have been me dying that death. But instead, Jesus literally took my place. He took on himself my sin and bore for himself the punishment of my actions. So that now I don't have to, I don't have to die, but I can be made new in him and through him. I don't have to die, but I can, I can celebrate new life that is found in Jesus. Paul, again, to the Romans in verse 15 of chapter 5, says that for the sin of this one man, Adam, and here, here Paul is even comparing the two gardens, the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. See, the good news of the gospel is that God loved you so much. Like the gospel just means good news. The, the good news is that God loved you so much that he willingly inserted himself into your story. Seeing the course of your life being what it is with sin and chaos leading to death says, no, I love them too much. Let me instead insert myself into the story of humanity so that rather than leading to death, they can be made alive in me. God loved you so much that he bore your sin. He loved you so much that he paid the price. He died so that you could be made new. Jesus came and he took the shame from the first garden and replaced it with freedom. He took the condemnation and replaced it with acceptance. He took separation and brought relationship. He washes our sins and he makes us brand new. That's why we celebrate Easter Sunday. That's why we're here today. That's why we get dressed up today. That's why we, we come to church today. Not because it's the, the one Sunday a year where, well, we got to go to church, so we're going to church. No, we gather today. Why? Because we can celebrate the fact that because Jesus lives, so can you and I. So can we. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to us. No matter who we are and no matter where we're from, no matter what we've done, no matter what our life looked like, he is able to redeem and restore and reverse whatever that is. I don't know what your garden looks like. I don't know what heartbreak, I don't know what pain, I don't know what sorrow, I don't know what despair, I don't know what hopelessness, I don't know what fear, I don't know what anxiety, I don't know what, what the last year has brought and what garden you've been living in and what you've been covering yourself with. But what I do know is that what Jesus made available in that second garden, he's still making available to you and I today that he is still able to reverse all of those things and take the anxiety and bring peace instead and take the fear and bring courage and, and, and hope and joy and strength and take the, the despair that we've been living under and instead fill us with the confident assurance knowing that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. No matter what garden you've been living in today, you have a new garden available to you, but it didn't come without a price. It didn't come without a cost. And that cost was Jesus's life. And that cost was his blood. That cost was his body. 
And he said, you know what? I love you too much that I'm willing to lay it all down for you. And as we read God's word, there is a cost for us as well. Yes, this gift has been made available and the gift of salvation is free. But if I'm going to live for Jesus, there are things that I must lay down as well. Jesus was willing to lay down his life for me. What am I willing to lay down for him? Jesus comes and he says, will you lay down your hopes? Well, I don't know about that, Jesus. Will you lay down your selfish desires? Not entirely. Will you lay down some of those old patterns of thinking, those old habits, those old friends? Will you lay down that unhealthy relationship? No, now you've crossed the line. And I thank you for, for laying down your life for me and laying down everything for me, but I'm just not willing to lay down anything for you. See, it didn't come without a cost. It didn't come without a price to be paid. And the question today is, is what are you willing to lay down? What are you willing to lay down to get access to that, to that garden? What is God challenging you in? What is, God, what is God revealing to you right now? See, I believe that, that even as we sit here today, there are things that are, are being brought to our attention. The Holy Spirit is reminding us of things and highlighting things in our lives and those areas that we've been trying to clothe ourselves and hide ourselves from and hide ourselves in that, that God is bringing those things to our minds so that we could then in turn lay those things at his feet. See, we rejoice in the second garden. We rejoice that we don't have to stay in that first garden, but it requires us to pick up our cross, to die to ourselves. This is what Jesus said. If anybody wants to follow me, you must pick up your cross. What does that mean? It means to die to yourself. Die to your desires, your wants, your dreams, your hopes, your ambition, and say, God, what do you want for me? God, how do you want me to live? God, how do, you, how do you want me to respond? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? And as we are led by God in that way, that's how Paul is able to say, it's no longer I that lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. Amen. I find myself in perfect relationship with him in this garden. Today, I don't know what your garden looks like, but I want to give you an opportunity. I'm give you an opportunity to respond to God's word and find the promise of a new garden. If you're here today, I would just invite you, just bow your head, and close your eyes. Everybody here, those of you that are watching online as well, just bow your head, close your eyes. And, and if you're here today, you say, Pastor John, that's me. I've been, I've been, been struggling in this garden. I've, I've been living in shame. I've been living in sin. I've been living in, in chaos and confusion. And today I want that new life. I want that new garden. I want access to those promises. I want God to reverse the, the punishment and the shame and bring me freedom and new life. I've never invited Jesus into my heart, into my life to be my Lord and to be my savior. But today I want to do that. If that's you, I wanna pray with you. I wanna pray for you. I just wanna know who I'm praying with. Nobody's looking, this is between you and God. But would you be so, so brave and, and courageous as to just say, Pastor John, that's me. And just slip up your hand and say, would you pray with me today? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Once you put it up, you can put it right back down. Anybody else? Pray with me today, Pastor John, that's me. Thank you, thank you. Awesome. Here's what we're going to do. I'm just gonna just pray this prayer. The Bible says that anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord would be saved. It says that if we would confess our sins, that he's faithful to forgive us. If we believe in our heart, we confess with our mouth that he is Lord, that God raised him from the dead, that we would 
be saved and our names would be written into his book of life. And so I'm just gonna invite you to repeat this prayer after me if you raise your hand. Church, would you help us pray today? Just say, Jesus, thank you so much that you gave up your life so that I could find new life in you. And today I confess, I've messed up, I've blown it time and time again. I've been covering myself and hiding from you. But today, like Mary, on that first Easter Sunday, I run into your arms. Would you cleanse me? Would you wash me? Would you forgive me? Would you help me to live according to your word every day for the rest of my life? Thank you for laying it all down. And in return, I will lay it down as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we put our hands together for those that prayed that prayer today? Thank you so much. Listen, the greatest decision that you have ever made in your life. Now, here's what, here's what I want you to do. If you would, just stand with me. Uh, those of you that are here, when you came in, you in your baggie, there was the, the communion, but there was also this little card. I'm going to explain to you this little card because I wanted to give you something that you would be able to, to take with you kind of as a, a keepsake, a, a something to, to, to keep that on the forefront of your mind. And so what we decided to do is, is we found this paper and this is seeded paper. I didn't even know this thing, this existed but there are literally flower seeds within the fibers of the paper. And so the, the front there says, says what you will commit to lay down. So as we talk about, you know, God, you laid this down for me. You laid your life down for me. What are you, what are you calling me to lay down in return? For some of us, maybe it's control. For some of us, maybe it's a relationship. It's a, it's a sinful habit. It's a, it's a pattern of thinking. Whatever, whatever the Holy Spirit was showing you in that moment, what I would encourage you to do would be to take this home and write that on the back. That God, I've been living in this garden of shame, but I'm, I'm committing to lay this down and then follow the directions on the card. All you have to do is write it on the back, tear the card up, and then I think you like soak it in some water, plant it in some soil, and then from that paper, from literally what we're laying in that soil, what we're giving up in that garden, God is going to produce something beautiful in our lives. So just would encourage you, if you're watching online, you obviously didn't get a card, but we will be here throughout the week. If you want to stop in and grab one, we have some for you guys as well. Otherwise, listen, I love you guys. Thank you for being here today. Happy Easter. Have a great day. Be blessed. Next week, 9 and 11. Have a great day. At Dream City Omaha, we're all about helping each other do three things. Discover Christ, recover identity, and uncover purpose. Please check out our past sermon series or online discipleship classes. And don't forget to hit subscribe and the bell for notifications on all of our latest videos.